him this morning for his amazing grace.
Jesus, the name of all every other name, the only one. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Lord, you're worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, we live for
love you, Lord. It's our joy to honor you. It's our privilege to praise you and exalt you, to look away from everything else and fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, the one that died for us and rose again. It is our privilege, it is our joy to honor you, to sing songs that bless you, that revere you, that declare your greatness, your mercy, and your love. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for how good you've been. We thank you for your shed blood that has redeemed us, has washed us, has forgiven us. We thank you for your victory in the cross and the new birth that it brings us. Lord Jesus, help us to live our lives as those that are unashamed to express the joy we have in our salvation, to express the gratitude we have because of who you are and all that you've done for us. And all God's people said, let's give the Lord a hand clap. He's worthy. It's our joy to worship. It's our joy to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, God is good. Amen. And it's our joy to honor him, is it not? It's our joy to bless him and praise him, sing songs to him. All right, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Follow Sister Amy. Amen. Praise the Lord. And everyone else, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 32, and we will read one or two verses there, and then we'll jump to our text, which is Acts 9. But if you would, let's go to Jeremiah 32, and we'll start off there, and then we'll jump to our main text. The Bible says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, or all mankind, is anything too hard for me. You highlight that and write that down and you're thinking because we want to let that minister to us. Now if you would, Acts 9, Acts 9, Acts 9, hallelujah. We'll begin with verse 1. We're going to read a bunch of verses here so we can get this story, an exciting story. The conversion of the Apostle Paul. Like God said, is there anything too hard for me? And the Bible says, Acts 9 and verse 1, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters of authority to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Now Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now meanwhile, verse 10, in Damascus, 
there was a disciple by the name of Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let's spend our time this morning talking about encouragement from Saul's conversion or another title. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Hallelujah. You see, the conversion of the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest conversion stories in the history of Christianity. Saul of Tarsus was a religious yet an angry and violent man. He was a zealous man, consumed with a passion to stamp out Christianity in the name and memory of Jesus Christ. He was driven by fierce anger. The Bible says he's breathing out murderous threats. He was driven by a fierce objective. He wanted to destroy and ravage the church of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 through 9, we see Saul's life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, when you meet him, you're never the same. Isn't that right? When you meet him, you're never the same. Real encounters are life-changing encounters. You, you, can, you can test the waters. You can sit around for a while. But real encounters are life-changing encounters. That's the only ones God gives, you see. Now Saul is angry and his rage is intensifying. It seems the more he persecuted the church, the more it spread and multiplied. Kind of reminds us of Pharaoh when he was trying to destroy God's people down in Egypt. But the more that he persecuted them, the more the Bible says they multiplied and they increased. We begin our story and we see, number one, Saul is on the road. He's on the road. He's on the road to Damascus and he's zealous and he's pious. And he's actually thinking he's doing God's work by persecuting the church. You see, friends, sincerity and zeal must be accurate and correct. Passion must be on target. Passion must be productive, not destructive. You know, sad to say, he was not the first nor the last person to do something in the name of the Lord that wasn't of the Lord. Now, he had some fine-sounding arguments for his behavior. Most of them do. He would tell you, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified criminal is the promised Messiah? He would say the law declares that anyone hung on a tree is cursed. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him our Messiah? You see, in spite of Saul's great learning, he was a spiritual blind man. And like so many, even today, he stumbled over the cross of Jesus Christ. And he depended on his own righteousness to stand acceptable before God. He trusted in his own religious works and achievements, his own personal morality and merit to get him into heaven. Thank the Lord that years later, we see this same man who would write, May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the same one that writes in 1 Corinthians that we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others, but to us who have believed, it is the power and the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God to save us and keep us. And today, we thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Today, we thank God for on that cross, God did for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. He paid the price for our sins. He endured the punishment and shame we deserved, and we thank God for it. Can you say amen? Oh, on that cross, he made a way that we could be forgiven and we could be made brand new. And we give him praise. Now, Saul, we see, is on the road. He has authority from the chief priest to arrest any and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. He's on the road, driven by a fierce anger towards the one that he considered a threat to his religion, to his tradition, to his people, to his self-rule, to his way of life. He's on the road, then suddenly he's on the ground. Do it again, Lord, do it again. It's about noon, and the Bible says he saw a light from heaven brighter and more brilliant than the sun. It was blazing all around him. It was blinding. It caused Saul and his whole party to lay down their faces in the dust. What happened? Well, one writer suggested the Son of God just drew back the clouds and gave one look. And the brightness of his face was so dazzling that Saul couldn't bear it for an instant. Saul was on the ground. And then from the ground he heard a voice. Saul, Saul. Isn't that sobering? The Son of God knew him by name. It's amazing that he knows every sinner by name. He knows every backslider by name. He knows where they're at, and he knows the condition of their heart. And if you're within the sound of his voice, he calls you today, come to me, return to me, and I'll receive you. Bow your heart down to the dust, and I will lift you up and give you a new beginning and a fresh start. Oh, he knows every sinner, every backslider by name. He knows every phony, but he calls and says, you don't got to be a phony anymore. You can come to me, and I I'll receive you and I'll make you into the real thing. Can you say amen? Oh, the love of God, the love of God. Saul, Saul, why persecuteth me? He knows every sinner by name and praise God, faithful ones, children of God. Don't ever forget, he knows you by name. He knows those that are his. He knows the way that we take and he knows the battles that we fight and he knows the burdens that we bear and he is committed to give us all that we need to fight the good fight and to finish the race and do what this world demands of us to do and carry out. You're going to make it because your Savior is committed to your care. Saul of Tarsus, he heard a voice and I pray that somebody would hear the voice of the Lord speaking to their heart this morning. For the God we sing about, the God we praise, the God we preach, he's not dead, he is alive. He's not silent, no, he is speaking even now through his word and by his spirit. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. He has a word that sustains the weary. He's got a word that will lift you up and make you strong. He's got a word that will comfort you when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. He's got a word that will give you direction when you feel confused and you're not sure which way to... Oh, he's got a good word for his people. Ye that have ears to hear, let us hear what the Spirit would speak to our hearts. 
It might be a word of warning. If it is, respond to it. For it is a loving message of a caring father reaching out to you. It might be a word of comfort. Receive it. It will minister grace and hope and healing to your heart. It might be a word of direction. Accept it. Receive the counsel of the Lord. Let it steer you in God's chosen path. Let it give you wisdom for your decisions. Let it bring you to making righteous commitments and covenants. It might be a word of encouragement, and God knows we all need encouragement. And if that's his word, embrace it, receive it, embrace it, and God's word will feed your faith, and God's word will ignite your fight of faith and increase your strength that you can rise up on wings like eagles, and you can soar above that thing, and you can triumph over that thing. God has a word for his people. Oh, God, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear that we might be able to receive what you have for us. Soul of Tarsus is on the ground. On the road, on the ground. And on the ground, he sees a light, hears a voice. Then there's a question. Oh, then there's a question. You know, Jesus takes things personally. You you might think you're just mocking your brother or sister. He says, you're doing it to me. You messed with his church, you messed with his bride. You see, Jesus, yeah. I know many a men, they're very, very, very tender. You mess with their bride, you'll find another side to them. Can you say amen? Oh, you mess with this church. Why are you persecuting me? You might think you're just backsliding against your father's religion. You're persecuting Christ. You might just think you're doing your own thing. You're rejecting and persecuting Christ. He takes it personal. Remember, no one else died for you. He did. Why do you persecute me? You know, the questions of God are sermons all by themselves. Think about it, those of you that know your Bible. Think about it. From the very beginning, in the garden, Adam, where are you? And the question goes out to the one that used to walk in the presence of God, but now he hides from the presence of God. You could be in church and hiding from the presence of God. But God says, where are you? Are you where you shouldn't be, doing what you shouldn't do? Where are you? Come back to the place you once were and walk with me and enjoy me. The questions of God, Genesis 4. Cain, where's your brother? (laughs) How are you treating your brother? What are you harboring in your heart towards your brother? The questions of God. Book of Numbers. Moses began to doubt that God could bring his promise to pass and care for all those millions of people in the middle of a desert. And God says, Moses, is my arm too short? Don't doubt me. Believe me. Trust me. And watch me work mightily in your life and in your circumstances. Somebody, God can do it. God can do it. God can do it again. God can do it. His arm is not too short. His ear has not grown deaf. He hears your cry. He sees your situation. He says, trust me. Believe me. And watch me work my wonders in your life. Second Kings, there was a king that was backslidden. He didn't really love God. He got into a mess. and He got into a mess. 
didn't even seek God. He sought the heathen gods. He sent one of his servants, go and check with Baal. Will I survive this? And God sent his prophet, cut him off at the pass, ask the king one question. Is there not a God in Israel that you've got to run to the false? Somebody, is there not a Bible you can trust? Is there not a God in heaven you can call on? You don't got to run to the world. You don't have to compromise and do things that are ungodly or unethical. You can trust the Lord to bring you through. You can do it God's way and watch God work in your life. Yes, there's a God that we can cling to. There's a God that we can call on. There's a God that we can cast our burdens upon. He is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and He'll bring you through. If you love the Lord, you don't got to look to the things of this world to guide you and to steer you and to promote you. You need to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him call on him trust in him and he shall direct your path somebody say amen oh i'm telling you yeah there is a god that we can trust there is a god we can rely on jesus will never fail you jesus will never forsake you the questions of god jesus had a couple who do men say that i am what is a prophet of man Gain that whole world and lose his soul. Is it worth your soul? Is it worth your soul? Oh, the questions of God. Oh, they're sobering. Talk about recalibrating, rebooting, awakening. Oh, the questions of God. Mm, mm. From the ground, Saul got a new view of life. Who are you, Lord? And here's the words that changed him forever. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. You know, when a man gets saved, he gets a new view of God, a new view of himself, a new view of life. Saul made some wonderful discoveries that day. Things look different when we humble ourselves before the Lord and allow him to begin to lift us up and transform us and make us into the ones he desires us to be. Saul discovered that day, to his surprise, he discovered that Jesus of Nazareth was actually alive. We praise God that he lives this morning. We praise God that we call on a God that has ears and can hear and has an arm that can intervene in our lives. That has a heart that cares and comforts and is compassionate towards us. We that love the Lord, this is more than a philosophy. This is more than a ritual of religion. The, those that are true Christians have a real relationship, a personal relationship with the Son of God. He discovered Jesus was alive. He discovered that his, his righteousness wasn't nearly enough to make him right before God. and He was a sinner and he needed a Savior. He discovered that day that even though he thought he was serving God, he thought... And he had talked himself into believing that he was doing the right thing. Actually, he's resisting God. And he had been persecuting God. And he had been running from God. Once Saul got a new perspective, once he measured himself by Jesus and saw how needy he really was, suddenly a new perspective led to being a new person. Again, when a person gets saved, 
when a person truly gives their life to Christ, everything begins to change. And this is what we see in Saul, who was to become Paul. He humbled himself before the Lord Jesus. And as Jesus began to lift him up and transform him into the one he was created to be, there was a transformation from the Hebrew of Hebrews to an apostle to Gentiles, from a persecutor to a preacher, to a legalistic Pharisee, to a proclaimer of the grace of God. From fighting Christ and resisting Christ and running from Christ and rejecting Christ to loving Christ and serving Christ and being a servant of his church, not an enemy. He went to Damascus to arrest Christians, but praise God, instead, he got arrested by Christ. Has Jesus Christ apprehended your life? Have you been apprehended by Christ? Can you sincerely say this morning, I am no longer my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ? Are you able to say with 100% certainty, unashamed, that I am not my own? I belong to Jesus Christ. He, God has apprehended my life, and it's a good thing. It's a blessed thing, and I'm glad to let the world know it. I'm not ashamed to tell others about it. Can you say that? Encouragement from Saul's conversion. Here we see him. He's on the road. He's on the ground, and now he's going into the city. We find some encouragement from this life. From this story, we should be encouraged, number one, to believe and trust God for the hard things, to believe and trust God for the hard things, both souls and situations. i got a dear friend of mine, he, he's, he's a good decade or so older, but back in his day when he did youth ministry, he would challenge the kids in the Syracuse area, invite the worst kids in your school to youth convention. This is 40 years ago. There's people preaching the gospel out of his crazy faith, out of his daring faith. He said, let's believe God for the hard things. Hey, if God could save Saul, a violent, angry, the worst of sinners, hey, don't you think he could save your family? I mean, if he could save Saul, don't you think he can apprehend that wayward one that's out there somewhere? You don't even know where, but God does. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, sometimes we pray so long, and it looks like there's so little progress that's being made, but you don't know what the Lord is on the verge of doing. Think about it. Think about that day. Let's put ourselves back in that scene. Nobody's singing, there's room at the cross for you. I don't hear anyone saying, just as you are, without one plea. No one's expecting that. No one's thinking that. It doesn't look like anything's happening. Saul's breathing out murderous threats. He's drawing closer. Persecution's about to be unleashed. Families will be separated. The young church is to be ravished and attacked. But God was at work when no one could sing it. God was at work. And God is at work. Even in the hard cases and even in your cases. We learn from the Apostle Paul's conversion that we should be men and women willing to trust God and believe God even for the hard cases, whether it's souls or situations. Friend, you don't know how close you are to that answer. The Bible says, Galatians 6 and 9, don't grow weary in doing good, for you shall reap a harvest if 
You don't give up. God says, don't give up on me. Keep standing on my word. Keep believing my promise. Keep storming the throne of grace. And you'll see when the time comes, souls and situations. Our God is mighty to save. Our God is mighty to heal. He'll make a way. He'll move the mountain. He'll break that heart. Somebody keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep storming heaven. God is not done yet. Can you say amen? Oh yes, all conversion. It encourages us that God is working. That we are closer than we believe. That His promises are true. That His faithfulness is great. Souls and situations. Let's continue to believe God and say, do it again Lord. Do it again. For He still saves the souls of Tarsus. He still apprehends the Jonas. He still parts the seas and multiplies the loaves. He still returns the prodigals and raises the Lazarus. He still makes the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Some thinks it's impossible for that barrier to break. Well, God has a fist that can break any barrier. God has the power that can make any mountain melt. Don't you give in to the unbelief or the frustration or the tiredness and the weariness of the battle. But you continue to fix your eyes on Jesus and stand on His good promises and believe that if God said it, He'll do it. And if He spoke it, He'll bring it to pass. Oh, you can trust God. Be encouraged from Saul's conversion. We learn to trust God. We're challenged to trust God. How many things don't get done because no one's willing to believe God and trust God? Ask God. Trust God for the hard things. Number two, be encouraged by recognizing who God uses. Because God will use Again, let's get back in the story here. It's Ananias, verse 10. Whew, I don't know about you. That's quite a word to get during your devotional time in the morning. Amen. You think about it. You just poured that fresh cup of coffee. You got your little devotional that you get in the back there. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you bow your heart to begin your day, dear Heavenly Father. Amen. You're going to be all religious on it. Amen. And all of a sudden, God, say what, Lord? Go to whose house? Knock on what door? I'm not going to use that devotional no more. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid them at work. You want me to witness to them? I swore I wouldn't talk to that person unless the house is burning down. Even then, I'd pray about it. And you want me to what? <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. You know, we don't hear much about Ananias after this. Maybe once. We don't really hear much about him. God uses what we would say, obscure saints. Obscure saints. In fact, behind many well-known servants of God are lesser-known believers who have influenced them and touched them. Some of my church history heroes, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Charles Spurgeon, R.W. Shambaugh, the stories behind these men that shook nations and cities You'd find some obscure missions worker, Sunday school teacher, lay preacher. D.L. Moody was just a teenage boy and a dry goods salesperson. Brother Kimball had the junior high boys Sunday school class. What a class that is. I mean, that's usually a handful. D.L. couldn't even find the book of John in the Bible. But Kimball so burdened for this young boy. 
that left his job during the day to seek out B.L. as he worked at his uncle's shoe factory to make sure his heart was right with God. God give us more Sunday school teachers like that. And this young boy that was a father had died early in life, this young boy went on to shake two nations with the gospel. There's still a church and a Bible school hundreds of years later with his name. One to Christ for a faithful Sunday school teacher. Think of Billy Sunday. He was a Major League Baseball player in Chicago. But he had been bound by drinks since he was just a young guy. And here he was one day after a ball game with his buddies. They're out drinking and they're wasted. And they stumble upon a certain section of Chicago where it's that great famous the Pacific Garden mission. And out of that mission came some of the street preachers. And as they began to preach, the power of God got a hold of Billy Sunday. He left the career as a Major League Baseball player, and he preached under some of the biggest tents in revival meetings this country has ever seen. I think of Charles Spurgeon. By the time he was 19, he was preaching to literally thousands each Sunday in the middle of London. But he got saved one snowy day when his own church service was canceled at night, and he got to the primitive Methodist church that was nearby the house. It was such a bad snowstorm, the preacher couldn't make it, so one of the laymen had to get up and fill in. And Spurgeon said he was really an ignorant man, didn't really know much, so all he could do is read his text about 20 times. But the text was, look to the Lord and be saved, all ye. He looked down at this young teenage boy by the name of Charles Spurgeon, and he says, son, you look very miserable. Why don't you look to the Lord? And he did, and the rest is history. We still read his books. We still read his sermons of this great preacher. The prince of preachers of that age of Victorian England was saved because, oh, my Lord, I think of R.W. Schambach, who shook the nation's cities for 30, 40 years, a big gospel tent where thousands would come through night after night. He'd lay hands on everything that moved. I'd watch him lay hands on children till 1 o'clock in the morning in the middle of Harlem, New York, as he took the gospel to places nobody else could go. His story is simply this. He's a teenage boy running home from the farmer's market in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, making a little money, running home, and he said there's a crazy little Italian preacher on the street corner preaching like there's 2,000 people listening to him, and he screamed, Hey, sinner! He said when he spoke those words, it was like something grabbed a hold of me, and I stopped in my tracks. Other people are laughing, but something grabbed me when this young, this Italian preacher, he was, I leaned against a light pole, and I listened to him preach for another 10, 15 minutes of gospel. I heard the most beautiful words I ever heard. Hey, sinner, you don't got to sin anymore. And I heard him talk about Jesus. Others are laughing. I said, they're not going to laugh me into hell. He goes, I made, a, I made an altar right there out of the curb, and I got saved. Whew. You see, God uses, he'll use you. God uses people. Sunday school teachers, street preachers, missions workers, lay preachers, just filling in. God keeps the books, and he will reward each person properly. So let's be encouraged. To make every opportunity for God a great opportunity. Because you don't know how God will use your efforts. You don't know how God will use your faithfulness. Witness to that neighbor. Invite that person at work. Serve. Teach in that class. Give your best when you minister in that ministry. Don't limit God by holding back on you being faithful. This God does amazing things, even through obscure saints. We learn from the conversion of Saul. We learn that we should trust God through the hard things. We learn that we should be encouraged by recognizing who God uses. 
we learn and should be encouraged never to fear obeying God's will and God's word. Now again, Ananias had to have some good excuses. I mean, it seemed like he had some good ones, but God would have none of it. I don't want to be too hard on him. Others in the Bible have had excuses. Moses had some excuses. Jeremiah had some excuses. I mean, Gideon had some excuses. Oh, listen, when God puts his hand on you, tag, you're it. It's over. It's over. He didn't ask your permission the first time. When God puts his hand on you, just say, yes, Lord. Amen. I'll direct the traffic or I'll go preach on the corner. I'll pass out the track or I'll go work in the office. Whatever you want, Lord. Let us be willing to respond even to the challenging, stretching assignments and words that God sometimes gives. Remember, God will never lead you where his grace can't keep you and enable you. His commandments or his enablements, simply if he spoke it, then you have what it takes to do it. If he spoke it, then with that word of assignment comes the enabling grace to carry out the task. You know, sometimes we want to hear from God until we hear from God. You know what I'm talking about? I see enough people. I know them. You know, I never forget. You know, Pastor Pagler tells a story. One, one time, there, there a lady, when he was working at the Brooklyn Tabernacle for a lot of years, one lady came in, and she went, she went, they caught her. They got about half a dozen preachers on staff back then. He goes, they caught her, and about the fourth pastor, she kept making appointments. She wanted counsel. But they're trained, right? They just open up the Bible and say, well, this is what the Bible says about this sister. Da, 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 da. She was on her way to her fourth appointment. She didn't like what the first one said. Got another appointment. Went to the, well, they're all just telling her the same thing, but they're trained. Well, you open up the Bible and say, well, sister, brother, this is what the Bible says. Well, finally, when they found out she on the fourth, they cut her in their tra- Hold on, sister, listen. There's nothing more anyone here can tell you except this is what the Bible says about your situation. See, she, she wanted a word from God till she got a word from God. Then she looked around. I, I know that. Some people avoid me. Don't want to hear what God, I know, you run someone else. Maybe they tell you something else. No, we just pull out the Bible, hit you between the eyes, say, sorry about that, but we didn't write it. We just had passing it out. Oh, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't think I know that. Oh, yeah. Now, that reminds me of that story. Um, I think we can relate when receiving a word of God that might stretch us a bit or maybe we don't want to um, listen to it. There was a man hanging on a cliff. He wanted to enjoy this beautiful view. And he got a little too close, kind of stumbled. He's hanging onto a root, you know, kind of hanging outside the cliff. He's hanging there, and he begins to, to cry out, Oh, God, help! Heard a voice. I'm here, son. Just let go. And I'll catch you. And I'll keep you. Well, you know what the man did? Well, no, the first thing he did is he looked down. He didn't see any hands down there to catch him. <laughs> so then he looked up, cleared his throat, kind of said, <clears throat> Excuse me? Is there someone else up there I can talk to? <laughs> You want a second opinion. Uh, you're not going to get another second opinion. It's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Sometimes we want to hear from God until we hear from God. But let's be encouraged from this story. Don't be afraid to obey God's will and God's word. Hallelujah. We learn from this story that God's work is a balanced work. Let us be encouraged to do our part. God's work is a balanced work. 
It demands human instrumentality to get it done. Without him, we can't. Without us, he usually won't. Now think about it. The word of God demands human instrumentality. Note, here we have a dramatic encounter on the road and then a private visit of an obscure saint. Here we see the hand of God knocks him off his horse, but then God uses the hand of a man to restore his sight. God spoke from heaven, and then he spoke through an obedient disciple. The ordinary and the supernatural working together, we partner, we co-labor with God. Encouragement from Saul's conversion. Things that ought to cause us to cry out, Oh God, do it again. Let's believe and trust God for hard things, souls and situations. When we end this service, we're going to ask God for some hard things. We're going to ask God to bring back that wayward child. We're going to ask God to break through the hardened heart of that loved one. We're going to ask God to do something so great that when it's done, only God, only God can get glory. Let's be encouraged by recognizing who God uses and let's make ourselves available vessels. God, use me. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Amen. You use earthen vessels. That's all. That's how we are. Never fear obeying God's will or his word. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So if he says, do it this way, do it that way. God's work is a balanced work. There's a time to pray and then there's a time to act. God uses human cooperation and human instrumentality. Never underestimate, number five, lastly. Never underestimate the value of one person brought to Christ. Who would have thought that this Saul, who Paul, would write a majority of our New Testament and be the greatest apostle? Who would have thought? You don't know the life you're touching, what God has in store. Do your part. Because as we like to say, everybody is somebody. To Jesus. <laughs> so never belittle your service or don't belittle the service of someone else. The life of Jesus so illustrates this. How often did he go off the beaten path for one person? He heard the cry of one person. One person that's bound and no one wants to deal with in a cemetery, but Jesus goes there. One woman that's gone through a life of looking for fulfillment and satisfaction, going through husbands, living with men, Good preacher shouldn't even be seen with someone like her, but Jesus goes, talks about living water. Oh, yeah, Jesus. He finds up in the tree, hey, come on down. No, none of the religious crowd won't be seen with you, but I got plans for you. You never know what God has in store for a life. Be his instrument to touch that life. Everybody's somebody to Jesus. You're somebody to Jesus. God's got good plans for you. And we that serve the Lord should pray, Lord, give me your vision for people. Help me to look at people like you do so I can have your heart of compassion and your willingness to reach them and do my part that they might be brought in. Mm. Encouragements from Saul's conversion are, do it again, Lord. Can we believe God this morning for some hard things? And can we offer ourselves like Ananias to be willing vessels ready to obey our Lord's commands? If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're here today and 
You're not where you need to be with the Lord. I want to encourage you before you leave, make things right. Take this whole service as one big opportunity of God calling to you, inviting you. Enough already. Enough already. Don't let it go any further. Don't put off my grace anymore. Respond now. Make the stop now. Humble yourself now. And I'll receive you. And I'll begin to restore you. And I'll lift you up. Yeah. Mm. So we close in prayer, our final prayer. If you need prayer, please come. They'll anoint you with oil. You can just come and pray. But as we pray, can we believe God for hard things in our lives? Can we believe God? Why not? Either he's mighty to save or he isn't. Either he can open Red Seas or he can't. I tend to believe he is who the Bible says he is. And let's ask him. It might be a soul. It might be a situation. It might be a sickness. It might just be a relationship. But let's be specific and let's ask God to move powerfully and sovereignly and do it again. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement.